This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me your questions or comments to mormonawakenings at gmail, or you can find me at Facebook at either Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Welcome back. I've been quite sick lately, which is why I haven't made any podcasts. I had a horrible flu before Thanksgiving. It just kind of dragged on and on and on. Still feeling a little gravelly. The whole thing has zapped me of my energy. No interesting thoughts have been thought by my feeble, infirm, sick mind. So I just haven't been able to make anything. Haven't been able to produce a podcast. Sorry about that. I also want to clear up a mistake that got into my last podcast. I referred to a Larry King interview with Gordon B. Hinckley. And I said that in that interview, Gordon B. Hinckley walked back the King Follett doctrine. Actually, the the King Follett topic did not come up in that interview. It was a Time Magazine quote in which Gordon B. Hinckley walked back the King Follett doctrine, where he says he's not sure if we teach it anymore. The King Follett doctrine, that is. So sorry about that. It was a Time Magazine article, not a Larry King interview that I meant to reference in episode 25. Sorry about that. Just wanted to clear that up. I worried about that mistake. I fretted about it for a while because mistakes like that can make people doubt everything else you say. It's easy to say, well, if you confuse the Larry King interview with the Time Magazine article, what else is this guy screwed up? I'm not listening to that guy. So I fretted that I had discredited myself. But, you know, mistakes like that happen in life. We all make them. And it's easy, of course, to use mistakes that people have made as an excuse or as a method to discredit everything else that they've said, as an excuse to not listen to anything that they've said, to lump all that anyone has said or done into one big bucket, and if there's a mistake or two in there, to conclude that everything else in the bucket is also contaminated and not worth paying attention to, that everything ought to be relegated to the dustbin. We ought to look elsewhere for truth, for anything of value. That's a, that's an easy conclusion that we as human beings make. Some, of course, are more quick to do that than others. Some are a little more forgiving. But we all kind of do that. That's the way our brains work. We have to use heuristics, methods to simplify signals that we use, specific signals that we use to make broad conclusions. That's how the human brain works. Heuristics, we all use them, and they lead to illogical conclusions sometimes. We've talked about that before. It's easy to do that. So when someone makes a mistake about the source of a piece of information, like referring to a Larry King interview instead of a Time Magazine article, or when someone makes a mistake about the actual information, our minds extrapolate from that and conclude illogically that everything that person has ever said perhaps is not to be trusted. Now, of course, there are people who do this routinely, this being misquote things, get the wrong information, screw things up, use disinformation, get the facts wrong. We have someone who is in high office in our country today who is chronically doing this. You start to wonder if anything that can be said by these sort of people should ever be relied upon. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we 
encounter someone who's made an honest mistake, and then we extrapolate, use this as a heuristic to judge that person as completely unreliable. That's illogical, but we do it all the time, all of us, during my sickness and my convalescence. I like that word, convalescent. I've been convalescing from my horrible disease. No one talks that way anymore. But during my convalescence, I was trying to do some research on some work that I needed to get done. And a good source of research about cutting-edge ideas and technology in this world is actually YouTube, believe it or not. But YouTube is also a place full of commingled fact and fiction. It's also a place to get highly distracted. So I'm searching on YouTube for some cutting-edge information about a particular technology I'm researching. And of course, I get distracted like we all do on the internet. And I start watching videos about the collapse of the petrodollar. I'm not quite sure how I got on that topic. And I was listening to this interview by this guy who was explaining his theory about why the petrodollar will collapse. His theory is basically this. The U.S. is importing less and less oil on a comparative basis than China is. And so the U.S. dollar is becoming less and less important in the world. The Chinese currency will rise up and replace the dollar, at least in the oil trade, and that will lead to a broad adoption of the Chinese yuan internationally, and the U.S. dollar on a comparative basis will decline, and potentially the U.S. economy. Well, that all makes sense. I don't know if any of it's true or not, That, but seems logical enough to me, and I thought, hmm, that's, ooh, that's kind of scary, though. But I thought, yeah, there's something logical. You know, this, hmm, this makes sense. Then the guy started talking about the international cabal, the secret government that controls everything internationally, this weird alliance of unelected bureaucrats, the deep state, you know, the black helicopter state that are really controlling things. When he started talking about that, I thought, well, that, hmm, this seems we're starting to get, starting to sound a little paranoid here. But I thought, well, maybe there's something to that. I, you know, I don't know. I'm just some guy. But then this guy started talking about doubles. And he said that Hillary Clinton had a double that looked 20 years younger than she did in real life. And this double was the person who debated Donald Trump in the final debate. Hillary Clinton's double. And the reason she had a double is she wanted to look like she was full of vim and vigor. Because we all know that Hillary Clinton is more infirm than I am. She didn't want to come across as weak, sickly. So she had her double debate Donald Trump. And as everyone knows, they all have doubles. It was at this point that I turned off this YouTube video and then felt stupid for having gotten so distracted that I wasted 18 minutes watching it to begin with. But if you back up a little bit, it would be illogical for me to draw conclusions about the whole petrodollar theory he was propounding based on what he was saying about Hillary Clinton's double, right? Those are two separate issues. And he may be completely wrong, illogical, ill-advised about the Hillary Clinton double issue, yet his theory, his logic, his conclusions even about the decline of the petrodollar, well, that all can make perfectly good sense and we ought to heed those warnings but he does himself such a great disservice when he starts talking about Hillary Clinton doubles now the middle issue the whole international cabal that that maybe there's something to that maybe there's not but again that's a third separate issue 
none of these issues are really all that related to each other. But because it was one guy talking about it and he concluded with the Hillary Clinton double fantasy, it's easy intellectually for us as humans, because that's the way our brains work, to say, well, this guy's full of crap about everything, he said. The petrodollar is just fine. The international status quo of finance and economics will never change. This guy's full of crap. Did you hear what he said about Hillary Clinton? Unbelievable. It's easy to conflate things like that. It's easy to draw conclusions about theory A because what people are saying about theory B or theory C, which are unrelated, is crazy. But this, of course, is fallacious. Making that sort of conflation mistake is also illogical. Now, why am I going through this long, protracted discussion about international politics, finance, the deep state, Hillary Clinton doubles? Why am I talking about any of this stuff? Well, I'm trying to make a very simple point, and the point is this. There are times in life, maybe when you're sitting in church, you're listening to some talk and the person's talking about a lot of really good things and then they throw out something that's just insane. Or there are times when you're working with someone, you're serving along with them at some service project and then they just do something crazy. Or there's times when you've been friends with someone for years and years and years and then they do something that's just crazy. And it's easy to take the crazy thing that's said or done and extrapolate backwards, conflate it with all the good, and come to the conclusion that it should all be confined to the dustbin. Jack made a mistake about Larry King's interview in the Time magazine. Quote, well, everything Jack has said is must be garbage. Well, this guy at church, he's a literalist. Nothing he has ever said is even worth the air that's passed over his vocal cords. Or vice versa. Sister Jones's daughter has a tattoo? What? Convene a church court. We make these kind of illogical conclusions. We conflate things together because that's the way the human brain works. Our brains are limited. We're illogical. We need to use heuristics which is fine, which serves us well for most parts of our lives, but can be massively detrimental when it gets out of hand and leads us to make conclusions about topic A, B, C, and D because a statement about topic Z or X made no sense. All the while, that sort of logic is also completely illogical and makes no sense. Books have been written about this. Studies have been done about this. There's a growing pile of literature about this issue. A new academic field called behavioral economics has cropped up. Savvy marketers has, have tapped into this penchant for illogical, fallacious thinking by humans to market their products. And there are people out there honing their methods so that they can become better manipulators. This happens, of course, we all know that. So it's important to be aware of what you're hearing, to be aware of what you're thinking, 
to be aware of your own conclusions. That sounds self-evident on its face, but it's not something most people do on a regular basis. Most of us are just kind of on autopilot and we're not aware. We're not paying attention to our thoughts and our conclusions. We're not paying attention to what our brains are doing, which renders us easy pickings, low-hanging fruit for the manipulators in this world. This is endemic, of course, inside our community on both sides of the aisle. And by this, I mean this penchant for illogical, fallacious conflation. I don't know how many times I've gone on Facebook or read some blog post or seen some headline that effectively says, Joseph F. Smith in 1910 said this about the moon, that man will never go to the moon. I don't know if it was Joseph F. Smith who said it, but some old timer said something about something that makes no sense in today's context. And the conclusion is that everyone who participates in Mormonism, who's an active Mormon, is full of crap. Or there's a big conspiracy, a big cabal, the dark state inside the Mormon church, the Illuminati, if you will, of the Mormon church actively covering things up. There's a secret elite group of Scandinavian-looking guys, you know, sitting around a big table in the church office building, laughing like hyenas about all the tithing they've been able to trick people into paying. While meanwhile, in this big vault, they have all the the real secrets, you know, there's the real plates in there and the, the seer stone and the hat and, you know, a picture of Cain and blah, blah, blah. Oh, because some old timer 75 years ago said something ridiculous like there is no evolution or or Adam was really God the father or, you know, or we ought to all have 20 wives. Because some guy with a long beard said that 80 or 150 years ago or 50 years ago, anyone who participates in this group, this group of nutty Mormons is insane, full of crap, I'm leaving. There's people on the other side of the aisle, of course who engage in the same type of fallacious thinking. You know, the Joneses' son doesn't like Boy Scouts. What? He doesn't enjoy camping and crapping in the woods. He must be a homosexual. I'm not so sure I want my child playing with him after church or going over there on, on Wednesday afternoons. Because if we do that, our child will come home as an atheist. What, Brother Rogers has been divorced? This is his second marriage? I'm not so sure I want my kids going over there. How will they learn family values? Never mind that his wife left him suddenly. We're better off finding the richest, most Norman Rockwell family in the ward. Let's make sure our children play with those children. I'm more than happy to home teach Brother Rogers, but I don't want to get too close to him because I want my family to be an eternal family. All of this, of course, happens subconsciously, no matter what side of the aisle you find yourself, or if you're even right in the middle of the aisle. It's all subconscious, happening subconsciously, these conclusions, deep inside our illogical, fallacious brains, where we're not even paying attention to it at all. These phenomenon, of course, are not peculiar to our community. But our community is not so unique and so special that we're immune from them either. That's the point I'm trying to make. Heuristics and the corresponding illogical fallacies that we as human beings are 
constantly engaged in are universal. And it's easy to get tripped up when heuristic, illogical thinking takes over a group and becomes groupthink, mobthink, turns into hysteria, all based on something very illogical that no one's spent the time or the mental awareness to think about. And it doesn't matter what your position is, whether you're orthodox, whether you're a middle roader, whether you're a rebel, whether you're completely disaffected, you're susceptible to this type of thinking because you and me and everyone else listening to this podcast, presumably, is a human with a human brain. Maybe there are some dogs and cats and some dolphins out listening. If there are, I'm sorry. This probably doesn't apply to you. But for the rest of us humans living here on Earth, it does. And I think we all recognize this. I mean, I think we all know when the stakes are low or when it's a one-to-one relationship or, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much. We sort of tolerate it. It's not a big deal, this being heuristical, illogical, fallacious thinking. I mean, heuristics in general are helpful, but it's not a big deal when they spin out of control and lead to some dumb conclusion. When the stakes are low or when it's a small matter, it's a one-on-one thing or, you know, but every now and then you run into something that makes you worry about everything else in the bucket. Something that's so crazy, so wacky, so obscene, disturbing, that you just can't control yourself. You're, you're, the way your brain works, the heuristics that you use, it's impossible to not conflate everything else in the bucket with it. And when these sort of things happen, when we read something or we experience something, or we're the victim of something that forces this sort of instinctive conflation. These represent some of our most difficult trials in life, certainly our most difficult trials within our community. When things happen that make us think, holy cow, how can, how can I associate with this group, this person, this mob, when they do this, or they believe that, or they treat me this way? And let me give you an example of what I mean. I have a good friend whose wife is a non-member. She would come every week. Her kids would go to primary. Everything about her reeked Mormonism. She was wholesome and positive and pretty and conservative. And, and I asked her one day, I said, you know, why don't you just join the church? You do everything else in the church. Why don't you just join? And she said, well, I'll tell you why, Jack. The very first story in your foundational book, the Book of Mormon, is about a boy who sneaks into a man's house whereupon he finds that man drunk asleep on the ground and he pulls out that man's sword and chops his head off, which he does because he's instructed by the Lord to do so. This, of course, is a story of Nephi and Laban in the first few chapters of First Nephi. I'd never considered this story as a stumbling block before. I never thought of it as something that would make someone say, whoa, you believe that? Maybe everything else inside your bucket is crazy. I never thought that that story was something that would incite an automatic conflation, an instinctive heuristic response from someone. But of course, it did for her, and she could never really get past the fact that that was one of the first stories in our most important book of Scripture. And so while her week-in, week-out experience at church was, was fine, made a lot of sense to her, 
And she could even tolerate some of our more paranoid notions, you know, things like Missouri and latter days and the millennium and all this sort of stuff. Once we started telling her that God had told a teenager to chop off somebody's head in order to get an important genealogical record, well, that's where the conflation began, and for her it was time to turn off the hysterical YouTube video. Now, I want to be clear, I think she's missing out. The same way the person who stops coming to church because, you know, Joseph Fielding Smith or Joseph F. Smith or, you know, one of those guys said that man would never walk on the moon or that evolution was clearly a tool of Satan or someone who refuses to read the Bible because, you know, the children of Israel killed Achan after he kept some of the silver and the gold. You remember that story, right? Achan, one of the children of Israel... After Joshua and his armies had sacked Jericho, Achan made the mistake of keeping some silver and gold for himself, which was against the rules. And the solution, as dictated by God, was to take Achan, his children, his sheep, his oxen, everything he had, his wife, and stone him, and then burn him, and then cover whatever ashes were left over with a big pile of stones, which, according to the record in Joshua, remains there to this day. Some people read passages like that in the Bible and say, this book is crazy, all of it, all of it's conflated with the story of Achan. I'll have nothing to do with any of it. Joseph Smith bedded Fanny Alger? Well, my child won't be going to scout camp this summer. Nephi chopped off Laban's head? There'll be no personal progress program for my young daughter, no siree. I'll have nothing to do with that service project, and I'm going to start drinking beer because Brigham Young was involved in the Mountain Meadow Massacre. All of these things, of course, represent massive illogical conflation. I'm not saying that there are no good reasons to stop coming to church. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying none of these are them. Stop coming to church if you want. That's fine by me. Just stop conflating it with some kooky, out-of-context quote from some general authority from 1952. Because if you do that, you're not being very aware. And anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that the 11th commandment is thou shalt be aware. Aware of your thoughts. Aware of what your brain's doing in the background. And aware of your fallacious conclusions. And if you keep the 11th commandment, you'll start to realize something about this world. And that's that the kooky and the awesome, the terrible and the transcendent, the horrible and the redemptive all seem to be living together. Sometimes inside the same person even, certainly inside our books and inside our institutions at the same time, integrated simultaneously. Life on this planet is a gigantic mixed bag. As Jesus taught, the tares have been sown with the wheat, and it's all growing up together, and it may all get separated someday, but that day is not today. And so for most of us, most of the time, our choice is a simple one. Are you going to allow your attention to be attracted by the good or the bad, by the positive or the negative? Because it's all right there in front of you. And only you can decide what's going to penetrate your brain. That's the choice for most of us, most of the time. Some people call this approach to life turning a blind eye. Or 
Being intellectually dishonest. Some people say looking at life this way is the same as looking at life through rose-colored glasses. These are all meant derisively, of course. Like there's something wrong with doing that. I'm here to say that at some point in life, if you want to be happy, that is, you have to start doing that. Because it's an imperfect, broken, fallen world. Yet at the same time, in between the cracks and the shortcomings, in between the mistakes and the disappointments, is by comparison glorious transcendence. In fact, unlike the story of Achan, the most profound sections of our scripture point out that the dark and the negative is there in order to provide a contrast to the beautiful and the transcendent and the uplifting. Otherwise, we'd never be able to choose these things because we'd have no point of reference, no point of comparison. In this sense, mistakes, lies, craziness, odious behavior, duplicitous, venal, and disgusting acts all serve a purpose too. We should all be grateful for the accumulated detritus of this earth, of our histories those kooky stories in our scriptures because they make everything that's good and beautiful and positive stand out, which makes it easier to notice, which makes it easier to choose. So we should be grateful for it. It being all that is unpleasant. It being the accumulated darkness. We should be grateful for it as much as anything else. That's kind of weird. Not something we usually thank God for in our closing prayers at sacrament meeting. Yet once we start thinking of light and dark in this way, we see it illustrated everywhere. All of humanity came after the fall, which was the result of sin. Jesus, the light of the world, was born in into a lineage of adulterers, cheaters, liars, Gentiles. The Lamanites were the surviving tribe. Slaves became the chosen people. A Pharisee who hunted down believers ended up writing and articulating the gospel in the New Testament. Light and dark coexist for a reason so that we can tell the difference and choose wisely and appreciate our choice as good because we've seen and experienced the opposite. Lehi, of course, talked about this in Second Nephi. There is opposition in all things, he said. And if there wasn't, well, goodness and righteousness could not be brought to pass. I think Lehi was right. Not only do we appreciate what's good, after going through a period of darkness, we're able to choose what's good. We're able to discern what's good ahead of time. That's when we begin to enjoy the fruits of this life, of this probation. Some of us learn the difference faster than others, but I don't really think it matters how long it takes. What matters is that we eventually learn Well, I've gone on far too long. I hope you found something interesting here today. 
Please do email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or find me at Facebook at Jack Nanique or Mormon Awakenings. Until next time. <laughs>